This election, there was one electorate that few predicted would change hands. Certainly not into these hands. She calls herself the yo-yo MP, but this time National's Maureen Pugh has sprung back into Parliament in spectacular fashion, apparently wrestling the long-time red seat of West Coast Tasman off Labour's Damien O'Connor. You might know her name because former National Party leader Simon Bridges was caught on tape calling her... Maureen Pugh's useless. The West Coast is the home and the birthplace of the Labour Party. It hurts when the Nats take it off them. It is painful. This is where the Labour Party was formed. The West Coast Tasman electorate's a huge one, the second largest for the general role by land area in the country, ranging from Jackson's Bay in the south all the way up to Farewell Spit. The main towns are Motueka, Westport and Greymouth. Over half the population are aged over 45, and it's got the second lowest share of possible younger voters, just 4% aged 20 to 24. The Wild West Coast, where life can offer beautifully simple challenges. So we'll be voting for whoever lets us white bait the most. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, the pundits weren't really expecting it. Nationals Maureen Pugh is West Coast Tasman's new electorate MP. Labour's Damien O'Connor ousted, but still in Parliament because he was number 10 on the party list. Pugh is currently at 915 votes in front before special votes are counted. Last election, O'Connor had a 6,000 vote majority. But why has the spiritual birthplace of the Labour Party swung away from its roots? First thing out of the block, let's get an idea of where we are and the people we are talking about. What is a coaster? Lois Williams is a correspondent for Newsroom, and she's based in Reefton. There are the stereotypes, and the average coaster can seem like a bit crusty and a, a bit retro, shall we say. But I'll tell you what, they're hardworking, plain-speaking people, and they are good people. Don't mistake that crustiness or that sort of reticence for a lack of smarts because they've got them in spades. What is it about the coast for you that you love? I love the green around me and I love that I can go down to my local river, which walk down to it and die, jump in in summer and swim. And the whole town turns out and people, you could just about have a community board meeting in the middle of the river. You know? <laughs> Jamie Klein is mayor of the Buller District. That's the northern part of the West Coast. Its main towns are Westport, Karamea and Reefton, and it also has the famous Punakaiki Rocks. Klein is a born and bred coaster. Coasters are typically, it's always those overused words, right? They're resilient and staunch and, and all of that. But um, increasingly, though, they're, they're innovative. They, to a certain degree, want to be self-sustaining. They want you know, government support, I think, to to unlock barriers for them. You know, so they don't want to be the... The, the handout. They want to be the hand up. They love living here. Has the idea of a coaster changed over time or has it remained the same? Uh, look, I think it changes over time. I think before communities historically would have been a lot more closed, if you like. Um, so, you know, people, so now I think we've got a lot more um, diversity in, in our community, you know, um, in terms of people that have come from away that have chosen to live here for various reasons. Demographic diversity is certainly a change in my lifetime that I've noticed. And that's for the better. You know, there's there's a good little cultural 
um, mix in, in certainly in Westport. Yeah, there's, there's some change that's emerging. What I think we don't want to come across is as if the West Coast wants to just keep everything how it always used to be because that mm. isn't actually the, the feeling. There is quite a mood and quite an appetite to embrace change and, and adapt and, and value-add some of our outputs from like the mining sector and things like that, mm. but, it's, um, but it's just got to have a bit of time to adapt and transition an economy. It's the pace of change, I think, that has been problematic for the, for the coast. Well, it's a long, skinny stretch on the west coast of the South Island. It's bounded on the east by the Southern Alps. And it stretches all the way from the south of Haast right up to Farewell Spit, in fact. But it's mainly about primary production. Farming is the mainstay. But it's got the highest percentage in the country of people working in mining industries. That's gold and coal and mineral sands and quarrying. And obviously tourism has become a major player in recent years. The other thing that's happened in the last few years, there's been an influx of retired or city people in recent years, and and they're attracted usually by the the beauty of the placement and also the reasonable house prices. But there are a lot of families here who've been here since pioneering days. They respect hard work. They tend to call a spade a spade. They can be quite blunt, and they are fiercely protective of their right to make a living from the land. That's their thing. West Coast Tasman has been a Labour stronghold. The electorate was created in 1996, and Damien O'Connor has been its MP for most of that time. The thing is, he's held that seat since it was invented, basically, and he has, I think, what, I think he's won nine elections. He's he's won won the seat nine times, lost once in the, um, the landslide in 2008 when Helen Clark's government was booted out. O'Connor lost the seat to um, an MP, a national MP called Chris Orkinvoll, who only lasted one election and cycle, and then um, Damien took it back. In fact, I think the coast did uh, did vote national once before. Kerry Burke lost his seat, and that was in the election of, of 1990 when the coast went national. So it's not unheard of, but it's pretty unusual. What makes it such a, a, a rare place? There are deep, deep roots but with the Labour Party here um, on the West Coast. The legend is the creation legend of the Labour Party as it was born out of the Blackboard Miners' Strike in 1908. Tell me about that. Well, in 1908, the Blackboard Miners were getting a bit fed up with their working conditions. They were unhappy uh, because the employers, the private mine owners, wanted them to work 10 hours a day instead of eight. And they were adamant that they could only have 15 minutes for their lunch break, or crib, as it was called. So what happened was that the um, miners, they defied this. They rebelled, and uh, one of them decided that he would just keep on eating his pie when the 15 minutes were up, and this basically landed them in the arbitration court. In those days, there was you didn't strike. You had to take your disputes if you had one to the arbitration court. That was the law. Mm. So they ended up in, in court, and famously, of course, the, the judge, um, learned judge, decided that 15 minutes was perfectly adequate time for miners to eat their pies or the, their pasties or crib, and then he promptly adjourned the court for one and a half hours for his, his um, leisurely lunch break. <laughs> so I suppose PR gold for the miners if they had been media in those days. Essentially, though, the, the miners stuck to their guns. They won basically through the strike. The strike succeeded. The mine, the uh, mine owners backed down. They got 30 minutes for lunch 
and they more, most importantly got the right to negotiate directly with uh, their employers rather than through the court. And they, I suppose, made it possible for the withdrawal of labour striking to become an industrial strategy. So how did that lead eventually to the formation of the Labour Party? Well, they were very active um, socialist-minded people in Blackbourne and on the coast at that time, and they founded the Federation of, what was the Federation of Labour, known as the Red Feds, uh, shortly after that. And then 10 years after that strike, the Labour Party was founded. So it had its roots. Many of the, the mining leaders involved in that uh, strike um, were involved in the formation of the Labour Party. And the Labour Party was formed in Wellington in 1916. Yes, but the people involved in it had been the ones who, I mean, the, the roots were on the coast. And so there were, you know, there were really deep loyalties there, but it's not a blind loyalty as we've seen. Yeah, it's had a bit of a swing, I guess you could say, this election. What were your thoughts when you heard that? I wasn't entirely surprised, actually, because there's just been this feeling abroad uh, in the last year or so, a lot of frustration, I think, an underlying sort of hostility. It was very obvious at a pre-election candidates meeting here in Reefton that I covered, there was this sort of impatience that wasn't there at the um, 2020 meeting, the equivalent meeting before the last election. There was really a sort of a lukewarm applause for Damien O'Connor when he was explaining the government's position on the economy and COVID. And he was pretty much shouted down when he was setting out the facts on climate change. There were cries of rubbish and bull and so on. So um, the signs were there, I guess. Also, when he spoke about the the Reefton Rest Home, which was abruptly closed, much to the consternation of locals two years ago now, he, he was accused of um, not fighting for it. Someone shouted at him, you didn't fight for it. And because he's a minister um, and a very busy one, he hasn't been out and about in, in the electorate as much, perhaps, this time. He's been off overseas sorting trade deals out. And, you know, talking to Maureen Pugh yesterday, she says he's done a really effective job for the country, but he hasn't been seen as much on the hustings. Now, Bulamir Jamie Klein is a National Party member, but says as mayor he tries to walk a fairly neutral line. His reaction to the result is a bit different from Lois's. I'm genuinely really surprised at the level of change uh, that we've seen. Um, Damien has always enjoyed quite strong majority uh, wins in the electorate vote, and uh, and to see that swing uh, to not only gobble up that uh, that majority, but then to actually swing to blue is quite a significant change. So yeah, absolutely surprised. Why do you think that's happened? Big question, but. <laughs> I think the West Coast is, is no stranger to the to the general mood for change across New Zealand, um, and I think uh, you know that's been borne out, you know, exacerbated by things like sort of the unsettling COVID policy um, settings that that have certainly divided a number of small communities and, and sort of generated that general sort of mood of, of dissatisfaction. I think what we've seen uh, also playing out here is, is affordability challenges, um, you know, right across our communities. Small towns, a lot of superannuitants, um, low ability to pay, and, and an ever-increasing um, challenge to that. And I think um, probably more locally, I think what we've seen is a real swing to support the primary industries. Uh, the West Coast is, is pretty highly exposed to the primary industries being being the farming sector and, and mining. And I think that has, um, you know, around 40%, 30 to 40% of GDP is from those sectors. And I think, uh, you know, the policy settings of the Labor government 
have uh, certainly in the eyes of the West Coast not been supportive of those industries. And, and uh, unfortunately for Damien, you know, his party's policies were not seen as favourable and, and perhaps that's part of why he's paid the price as well. Did you have much to do with him over your time as mayor? Yeah, I had a lot to do with Damien. Um, you know, I used to babysit his kids and things, so I saw really? no, I've known Damien and, and the family. I know, know Damien's brothers and things um, well as well. So, you know, absolutely, um, yeah, growing up knowing Damien. Um, so I think what I observed as mayor is the benefit, I think probably through a community that probably more so than most on the coast, they've been through a pretty difficult time with um, with natural disasters, the usefulness of having Damien in Cabinet and having that level of access um, to to appropriate ministers and things in an appropriate way, if you like, but uh, but useful just to provide that direct link and government support at that level, I think was a benefit to our community. But I think that the challenge for people in Damien's position and, I, and potentially a lesson for the Labour Party is that if your politicians become senior and are, and are in cabinet and in particular in likes of Damien's case, trade and overseas a lot, that kind of thing, uh, their ability to be able to be in the electorate and visible and welcome and maintain that connection with the community uh, becomes increasingly difficult. Um, and, and I think it's a thing that's a, a credit to Maureen. Um, she's a very hardworking electorate MP and, um, and and despite being in opposition for a number of years and on the list, she's a, uh, she's effectively been a, an electorate MP on the West Coast and, and very visible and Oh, has she? Like, how? Um, just on the road, mixing with communities, understanding what's going on, and um, you know, and I've I've maintained a, a relationship with um, with Maureen. But again, your relationship with opposition MPs is always slightly different to the, to the ones in power. And I don't think we should diminish her effort in the campaign. Um, you know, Maureen's had a you know a hugely challenging year um, personally as well with it, with a loss of a very close family member mm. during the campaign for her, and, and mm. for her to come through that and still maintain a. Um, presence up and down, which is a massive electorate, um, is full credit to Maureen. And, um, you know, I look forward to seeing um, her now being able to represent the community in government now. And um, I hope that she gets a, a reasonably senior position and uh, and we can, can maintain that sort of level of contact and, and uh, influence, I guess, that the West Coast has enjoyed to date. Well, I do have to ask, I mean, she has had some uh, controversial opinions o- over time in terms of climate change. During a, a real-time national state of emergency exacerbated by climate change, the National Party is fending off questions about having a climate sceptic in its midst. West Coast-based List MP Maureen Pugh today said she was still waiting to see the evidence that humans have an impact on climate change. It's not what I think, it's what I can prove. I am waiting on the evidence from the minister. Um, the pharmaceutical use. My personal views are that I don't take medication, things like antibiotics and things like So, you know, it's a personal choice that I have made for myself. But I've also been blessed with very good health my whole life. And that kind of thing. One of your colleagues, Maureen Pugh, has thanked the protesters outside. Does the National Party endorse their behaviour? I understand Maureen's deleted um, that post. I haven't actually seen it, but um, all I've heard is that there was a, a post that went up, I think, briefly this morning or yesterday. Uh, it's been deleted and we don't support the protesters outside. We've made that very clear. Do you think that people voted for her because she had boots on the ground, that kind of thing, rather than her controversies in the news every now and then? Yeah, I don't think that diminished from Warren's campaign. You know, I think I think it was. I mean, elect- winning an electorate is is absolutely about just being seen at community events and talking to to people and trying to understand and being connected to what motivates um, them or what's concerning them. And Maureen did that well. I think that the people here perhaps would be in agreement with 
Maureen Pugh, who famously said that, you know, she had yet to see proof and was sent away to do some reading by, by Mr Luxon. But they can't deny the facts that are shown by scientists. Well, um, some of them do, Tom. Some of them do. OK. There's also, I understand, a candidate that also split the vote a little bit this election, uh, Patrick Phelps. Hi, I'm Patrick Phelps. An electorate vote for me as an independent could give us three MPs in Parliament, which can only give us more influence. We've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's got to be at least worth a shot. Now, look, I think Patrick Phelps was the confounding factor. I think he was, in fact, the disruptor here. He did very well. Uh, he he got about um, 5,000, more than 5,000 votes, which was half of what Damien O'Connor got. And Damien O'Connor's vote plummeted from 20,000 to about 10,000, right? Mm. Patrick, is a, he's a 29-year-old. He is the son or the scion of a, of a long-standing family in, in Westland, farm, farmers and miners. He's also an ex-Radio New Zealand journalist, so he knows his way around a microphone and he speaks very well, and he is backed by Bathurst Mining Company, and he works as an advocate for the mining industry. He won all the um, election booths in, in the Hokitika area. Really? Oh. Yes, every one of them. Uh, well, he comes from down, down that way, of course, but also quite a few up in, in Buller. Yeah. yeah, he did very well. Who do you think kind of campaigned better? You say that O'Connor was way a bit more, and Pugh was a bit more noticeable than the coast itself, yes? It was very industrious in the communities, yes, but she didn't actually outperform anyone. I think, I mean, she actually lost votes too. She lost, she got just about 3,000 fewer votes than she got in the last election. I don't think that was really an issue one way or the other or a factor one way or the other. O'Connor, meanwhile, won Tasman, the northern part of the electorate, but he doesn't seem to be taking his overall loss particularly well. Hi, is Chris Hipkins still the leader of the Labour Party? Just Reconsider that answer. What are you doing here? Earlier today, the trade minister, in response to a question to a journalist, said, "Fuck off." Should he apologise for that? Um, I, look, I think um, emotions have been running a little high today. I think people will forgive uh, a little bit of uh, intemperance. Jamie Klein says the region is now putting together a list of jobs it wants the incoming government to tick off. Around some potential policy wins um, that they could implement that would unlock some stuff for the West Coast that's been hanging around quite a while. So one of the things that's been, been decades really in limbo is stewardship land issue with the Department of Conservation, and that's been sort of um, tied up in, in procedure and, and things for years. Um, some real clarity on things like the no new mines on Dock Estate to really give some confidence to the industries that are here now that they have a future and can continue to invest and explore um, opportunities in the minerals sector. Um, things like the Waitaha uh, Hydro Scheme, which again is you know, almost everybody agrees with, apart from a couple of um, regulatory um, hurdles there that are, that are holding up uh, the ability for the West Coast to, be, to begin generating some uh, electricity for itself. Um, and then I think there's you know, a, quite a good story or, or a good avenue for government around climate resilience and, and infrastructure and off the back of investments they've already made into likes of Westport for flood protection. What's the feeling of three waters amongst the West Coast? Um, well, the West Coast quite split in a way. Um, so certainly Graham Westland, um, very, very fundamentally opposed. Um, our council um, stayed fairly neutral because of simply because of the state of our infrastructure. Um, so we're, we're facing um, a lot of uncertainty now if, if uh, the, the uh, repeal of the 
free waters um, legislation goes through, um, you know, the, the problems haven't gone away. Um, and so for Buller, that's probably potentially a $100 million problem. That was a scenario we saw as an opportunity for um, for our community to be protected a bit from some of that expenditure. And so we'll have to work with the with the new government and establish what that looks like. It's really clear that the community won't be able to fund that on, on our own. Um, when you get examples of, of what's happened recently in Queenstown uh, with their uh, protozoa um, breakdown there, you know, our council was one of the 27 who have been written to and, uh, and need to comply. Um, compliance for our district means several new water treatment plants and supplies that don't currently have a treatment plant at all. Without three waters, then at the moment, the only people that pay for that are the people that are connected to it. And that's really problematic because we know that they can't afford it. So, mm. so there's some issues there that are now quite unresolved um, for our district that we'll need to work through. So even as a member of the National Party yourself, uh, you don't quite follow their line on three waters? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm quite happy to separate my personal um, politics from what's best for the district. And uh, yeah, and some form of reform and ability to aggregate um, safety in numbers uh, is the only way that the community are going to be able to afford to have um, infrastructure that will that will be comparable to and competitive with other districts uh, in New Zealand. I think if we don't, you know, we run a real risk of becoming sort of a, a backwater in terms of the quality and, and level of service that we're able to offer our communities here. Lois Williams has a suggestion on the type of candidate who would go down well on the coast. It possibly wouldn't hurt to have a, a more visible down-to-earth type candidate. You know, I mean, I think Winston Peters is very popular here because he's seen as a a, a no-nonsense person who um, gives the authorities heaps and also managed to um, deliver a lot of bridges and visitor centres here from the Provincial Growth Fund. They like him. Mm. Um, if we had another more candidates a bit like Winston, but con- you know, they quite like the cantankerous ones. They quite like the plain-speaking people like Kieran McAmulty, you know. I think a candidate like that would probably would probably do well. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Damien took it back next time. And although Damien O'Connor has had his notorious moments... Phil Goff says Damien O'Connor is a hothead, not a redneck, after he said the Labour list was drawn up by a gaggle of gays and self-serving unionists. I think he's he's not seen as, as perhaps plain speaking enough. One of the things that was said at that pre-election candidates meeting here was you didn't fight for us. You tell us we need to fight for things, but you didn't stand up and fight for us over the rest home. Maybe that he's been seen as being a bit missing in action and maybe he needs to harden up a bit. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Lois Williams and Jamie Klein. Ma, here